Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Black San Diegans are stopped and searched at a higher rate than white San Diegans. That's according to a new study commissioned by the San Diego Police Department. More on that after the news. The California legislature's new $264 billion placeholder budget sets aside funds for a number of San Diego projects. The bill includes $30 million to build a new hospital for UC San Diego Hillcrest, $2.4 million to improve the Logan Heights Library, and $3.6 million to keep up Old Town State Historic Park, among other projects. A final budget is still in negotiations. The BAE system shipyard in San Diego will receive up to $104.8 million to repair and modernize the USS San Diego during a visit in September. The Defense Department will give BAE a minimum of $90.3 million to service the amphibious transport dock. At 684 feet, it is one of the larger ships the company handles. Holland America's ships will return to San Diego Bay in September as the cruise line restarts trips to Mexico, Hawaii, and the California coast. After an 18-month absence due to the pandemic, the cruise line announced Monday that it's scheduling 43 calls from San Diego this season, all with fully vaccinated passengers. A new study by the Center for Policing Equity has confirmed the findings of other studies in San Diego, that people of color, especially Black residents, are stopped and searched at a higher rate than their white neighbors. This study was commissioned by the San Diego Police Department, and Police Chief David Nislight has promised to take a close look at the findings. Lindsay Winkley is a watchdog reporter at the UT. She covered this story with reporter David Hernandez. Lindsay, why did the police commission this study and what were the findings? Sure. So um, many years ago at this point, uh, the Campaign Zero report had come out and it had documented very similar racial disparities. Um, And so and the Campaign Zero report followed a different study that was done by SDSU that also found racial disparities. But around the time of the Campaign Zero report, which was commissioned by the ACLU, um, both the Sheriff's Department and the San Diego Police Department essentially said, look, we care about this topic. And so we are going to work with this outside entity um, that is going to take a look at this issue for us. And we're going to give them lots of data and we're going to give them lots of additional statistics to, you know, to really kind of drill down and see where our disparities are and you know if it can be drilled down to bias then we should do something about that um and the thing is is because when the aclu report came out it was very poo-pooed by the um, police departments they were like not a fan of the way that the report was presented they felt like it was um, they felt like it wasn't um it didn't have very much context um, and so it really got a lot of pushback. And so I think initially their their idea was, well, let's take a closer look at this ourselves. Perhaps at the time, not expecting the kinds of disparities that in the following years became even more clear because now we have this gigantic body of data. We've got RIPA data and that's the state law that requires all these police agencies to collect all this detailed data and the state of California is putting out reports 
you know, media organizations like us are doing analyses. And the concept of disparity in policing is not even something that is debated at this point. Everybody knows that there is disparity in policing. I mean, it's a very, it's a very common finding. I think the difference is when people start talking about disparities, what they feel those disparities are caused by. That is when you see the uh, kind of the divergence from usually community members and police reform activists um, and police end up not falling on the same sides of the aisle. So in this report, researchers use something called a regression analysis. Can you explain that to me? And also, how did that change the findings? Sure. So yeah, that is really what was special, in my opinion, about the um, about this most recent report, is it used a statistical technique called regression analysis. So basically, regression analysis is a way of mathematically sorting out which variables are having an impact on what you're looking at. And so the reason why regression analysis is super important when you're looking at these kinds of studies is because people will invariably see racial disparities and say, oh, well, that's actually just a reflection of more crime, or that's actually just a reflection of poverty, which is linked to more crime, which is linked to an increase in police activity. Um, and so it's a way of sort of um, uh, diminishing any possibility of racial bias fueling um, these sorts of disparities. And so regression analysis is very handy because what it basically does is it takes a look at poverty, crime. Well, in the case of the Center for Policing Equity Story, they looked at poverty, crime, and other and a couple of other neighborhood characteristics. And they ran a regression analysis to see how much of an impact those things had on the disparities that they were uh, viewing. And not very much is the answer. Essentially, there were still very deep disparities even after controlling for these kinds of outside variables. Yeah, in your story, I think it said they found that, uh, you know, police decision-making and also maybe department policies, you know, still had to do with the disparities. How did SDPD react to the, the findings? Yeah, so I will say that researchers are very careful. Um, it is very difficult, and we've spoken about this in the past when we did our series on racial disparities, but it is very difficult to uh, drill down to bias. Even some statistical techniques that are designed to identify bias are sometimes not very good at identifying bias. And so basically what the Center for Policing Equity's stance was, was look, when racial disparities are already, are, are present even when you have sort of controlled for these factors, it behooves the department to start looking at the possibility of officer behavior and, and policy fueling these kinds of things. And that's, you know, an you know, what our analysis found and what many other analyses found. Now the department has, um, and to be fair, city leaders um, have hesitated to look at disparities and say, this is a clear indication of officer bias. Now, it's not that it never is said. When we did our series on racial disparities, you know, we spoke to a police captain who acknowledged that bias is very likely at least a part of why we see disparities um, in policing. That being said, 
most departments feel strongly that the biggest motivator for uh, disparities are things that are outside of the department's control, like external factors like homelessness and mental illness that will increase an officer's likelihood of contacting a particular kind of individual. That being said, you know, the regression analysis really makes that not quite as robust of an argument, in my opinion. So Chief David Nislight said he expected these disparities, but he doesn't think the disparities necessarily mean there is discrimination at the department. So what does he say explains that the disparities? Yeah, so I think that that's really when you when you get to kind of this murky situation, right? And, you know, his words were these disparities do not necessarily mean discrimination. And that's what a lot of people say. They don't say there's no discrimination, but they say, oh, maybe it's not discrimination. But again, they look at external factors and they weigh those much more heavily, you know, criminality, mental illness, homelessness. On the flip side, though, community members, especially communities of color, have lived this experience. They have lived disparity. And they have talked about the disparate impacts on communities of color for a really long time. And no matter what side of the aisle you're on, the bottom line is, is I think a lot of people could argue that the city clearly has not done enough to address disparities. And that's something that the mayor sort of pointed out, right? He was talking about the fact that, again, like didn't want to come out and come out and say, look at these disparities. This is clearly fueled by officer bias. But what he did say, and it's important to note, is we know that disparities have a negative impact on our communities. So what are we going to do to fix it? Um, and I think that that's something that when we kind of look at the city's track record on what they have done to measurably uh, address disparities, I think it can be argued that they haven't done enough. Yeah, so that said, you know, Todd, Mayor Todd Gloria, Chief Nislight, they've both said they're committed to making changes. What changes might we see, you know, after this report? Yeah, so... I mean, it's pretty much a guarantee that we're gonna see a, a change in consent searches. So consent searches is when an officer pulls you over or stops you for whatever reason, and then asks to search you for no other reason outside of they just want to. Um, consent searches, uh, you can say no to. So if an officer says like, I would like to search you, all you have to say is, no, thank you, have a good day. Um, but most people don't know that. And it's a very nerve wracking experience kind of being pulled over by an officer and having an officer asked to search you. And so the department is planning on making some pretty significant changes to how officers have to go about that to make it more clear to people that they do have the right to say no in circumstances like that. Um, but to be quite honest, that's not really the change that many community members have been looking for. Um, so for a lot of longtime police reform activists and community members, the key to ensuring that these disparities are addressed is really by limiting how often and by what means officers can make contact with community members. And so they didn't want to see changes to consent searches. They wanted to see consent searches banned. Um, and they didn't want to see, you know, like extra rules. They wanted to see pretextual stops go away. You know, these are the sorts of changes that people have really been advocated hard for, advocating hard for. And I'm not exactly sure if a change to consent searches is going to achieve 
um, sort of a reimagining of public safety that people are wanting their leaders to have conversations about. Since last year, since the, the killing of George Floyd, we have seen some changes here at the local level, right? Including the end of the carotid restraint, uh, chokehold being used by local police, now potentially the end of consent searches. What more is it that, that activists would like to see? Yeah, so, well, and to be fair, I mean, even more, even beyond the end to the carotid restraint, you know, the San Diego Police Department codified standalone policies on de-escalation and duty to intervene. They set new limits on officers' actions during protests, you know, and even before that, they had kind of reconfigured its gang suppression team um, to sort of reduce the impact of a very commonly used tactic called saturation patrols, which is basically when they would just flood certain neighborhoods with officers, something that has been complained about for years. Um, and, and those things, you know, people have noted that, yes, those were important changes to make, but as far as reimagining public safety, um, I think that people are looking for something more uh, visionary. Um, and I think one of the most popular, uh, one of the most popular policy initiatives that you sort of see today um, is uh, put together by uh, a group called the Coalition of Police Accountability and Transparency. Um, and they pieced together a policy package called Police Accountability Now. And one of the key kind of changes within that policy proposal is um, a requirement that officers would have to have probable cause to stop, search, or detain anyone, um, which is a much more stringent legal standard than sort of reasonable suspicion, which is like, you know, I, I, I'm reasonably suspecting that there's something here, and so I'm going to stop somebody. Um, another major shift kind of within that package would be to decriminalize or deprioritize um, a lot of low level offenses like disturbing the peace, encroachment, even petty theft. Um, and those are offenses that are traditionally thought to kind of disproportionately impact the poor and the mentally ill, right? Um, and so those are the kinds of changes that people feel would just fundamentally shift the way that police interact in communities. Um, and I think that those, that mentality is um, what is you know still pushed? You, you get a lot of pushback, I think, from traditional, um, more you know, more traditional police leaders, and sort of what they feel is needed to um, foster public safety. One of the reactions I've heard to this study is just that, uh, wow, you know, Chief Niz like commented. Is that something that you've heard, or is that even fair? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely see what people are saying. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't weighed in heavily. Um, on these topics as they've sort of rolled out. I, I think other people within the department have been more individuals to speak on these topics because you've got kind of, you know, you have subject matter experts really in sort of the topics of RIPA data and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a little bit notable to see him um, speak out on this topic, but then again, you know, Chief Nislight wrote a lengthy op-ed after we ran our series on disparities. So it's not at, that he hasn't said anything on it. Um, I will say though that, you know, Nislight is much less likely to acknowledge that bias is, um, you know, could be at the root of some of these disparities, I think, than perhaps other people within the department. You know, that being said, I don't think that we want to cut too much slack to these leaders who have very important jobs right now. 
because the unwillingness to state that officer bias is fueling disparities at whatever level is really important for the community to hear. They need to hear that. They need it to be acknowledged because to say that it doesn't play a part at all, I think is at this point pretty silly. Um, and to, to not acknowledge that, that that role that it plays is you're really going to hamper any sort of conversation that you think you're gonna be able to have and putting together this path towards uh, a place where we don't see these disparities. Like you're not even gonna be able to do the work if you can at least acknowledge that that is part of this discussion. You can find this story and more news online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening.